to our continuing study of the gospel. We're so glad that you're here this morning. And I think I have here lesson four, but I think, what lesson is it really? About five? I think it's lesson five. I think I made a mistake there. Or six? Okay. Well, this morning as we continue, remember that we're discussing the four basic elements of the gospel, four elements which are necessary in some way to communicate to unbelievers so that the fullness of what God is communicating in the gospel and the fullness of what God desires to do in the hearts of those to whom he's communicating the gospel will be done because we're faithful to communicate it according to how it's set out in the Word of God. Again, these are not four elements that we have decided. These would be four good things to say about the gospel. These are the four emphases that the Bible gives from the very beginning all the way through to the end concerning the gospel. Four elements. Number one, what is it? God. Number two, man. Number three, Christ. And this morning, number four, our response. Response is the fourth one. And each of these elements, depending upon the person, depending upon the circumstance, depending upon your leading by the Spirit, please remember this. Depending upon your leading by the Spirit of God, because it is the Spirit of God who is the great evangelist upon the, in the world who is using us as his spokesmen, as his voices, as his megaphones, to communicate the great gospel through which, as the Holy Spirit goes into the world, through the preaching of the gospel, God's Spirit is gathering God's people into God's house. And so there may be an occasion where the Holy Spirit tells you, bear down on the first element, who God is, his sovereignty, his righteousness, his right to rule. Bear down on that. It may be that the Holy Spirit just wants you to mention a few things concerning God. It could be that the circumstance would be considered by the Holy Spirit necessary for you to bear down on man's unrighteousness, sin, its effect, the great result of our sin, the wrath of God. It could be that you should quote the various scriptures and the Ten Commandments as best you can under the circumstance to a person or to people. It could be that the Holy Spirit says, I don't want you to bear down. I've already softened their hearts. I simply want you to say, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And in that context, that person comes under great conviction. The Holy Spirit would want you, I think if there's any way to bear, any of the four to bear down on, it would be the third one. Who Jesus is and what has he done? The Son of God has become a man to be crucified, to be buried for the forgiveness of our sin so that in his resurrection, God's people 
may be justified, forgiven, and come into his house by the call of God. So if any of the four are going to be, as it were, emphasized, we always, I believe, have to emphasize the centrality of the gospel, its heartbeat, which is the atoning death of Jesus for our sin. This must be emphasized. Never de-emphasize this. And we must use the name of Jesus. And we must emphasize that his death upon the cross is God's single and only means for propitiating or forgiving Sorry, propitiating his wrath, putting his wrath away so that our sin may be forgiven. So that the wrath of God has been consumed on Jesus, not to be consumed on us at all forever. So that God now may justly and rightly forgive those who have sinned because in Christ we have been forgiven. Because he's paid the price. That has to be the emphasis. And then of course this morning we come to the fourth emphasis. Our response, our response. And as you're sharing, give the person or the people with whom you are sharing time and opportunity to respond. Some people under the convicting power of the Holy Spirit will literally fall apart immediately. When I say fall apart, realize they are sinners and come under that burden Some you will have to just, as you feel the Holy Spirit pressing you to do this. Did you just hear what I said? As you feel the Holy Spirit pressing you to do this. We are not to press people to receive Christ. We are not to talk them into it. We are not to give them reasons for doing it other than what is contained in the gospel. But if the Holy Spirit shares with you, press on. You will see sometimes in the service, at least when I've spoken, a few weeks ago, I just had a sense. Remember when we were saying, come on down. Come on down. And I had a sense to continue that. And then as I was about to stop, I felt the Holy Spirit say, call one more time. So I say, come down, come down. One more person under the leading of the Holy Spirit needed to hear that one more time, and he came down. It could be that you have to give a simple invitation, and the person is saved. It could be that you just have to encourage by the leading of the Holy Spirit. Again, by the leading of the Spirit not in order to try to get a decision for Christ, but by the leading of the Holy Spirit. Encourage, lead, call, so that they may hear the voice of God through our encouragement, so that they may understand what to do through our encouragement. Now, I hope that this helps you this morning as we go into this Last class, and by the way, we'll have one more class next week, which which will wrap it up in a different way than you would be expecting. Hope that this dogleg, if you would, from the context of the material this morning helps us. The prime evangelist in the world is the Holy Spirit. 
we are to be used by him. And so as we learn and as he puts forth this information, this material, this truth, under his direction as we are sensitive and obedient to his leading, we should expect those with whom we share the gospel to be saved. Every time you share the gospel, have a strong, persistent, exciting expectation that this person will be saved. Have an expectation of it. And let's see what God would do. Father, thank you this morning for, we thank you every day for your word. Father, continue to encourage us and build us up, equip us. Father, so that we may be the most effective men and women for your purposes. More effective every day for the purposes of building this great house. Father, for we remember the words of John 2.17 when Jesus was cleaning the temple. And the disciples remembered the psalm which said, Zeal for thy house hath consumed him. Father, you are consumed with a purpose of your self-glory being declared in your saved people. Make it so, Father, through us in a greater way every day. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this morning, we come to the last part, our response. As we talk about how does eternal life become ours, Remember last week we talked about Jesus saving us and purchasing our salvation through his death and through his burial and through his resurrection. And notice, I am always going to emphasize the work of Jesus in his death, in his burial, and in his resurrection because all three are necessary as one work to save us. All three, the cross, the burial, and the resurrection. Because you see, all three, the burial proves that he died. And then the resurrection proves that he's alive. And that as a result of his life, God has accepted the sacrifice of Jesus on our behalf for the forgiveness of our sin. And as a result of that, Jesus has been exalted at the right hand of the Father and has sent the Holy Spirit into the world to re to bring about the salvation of God's people through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And this morning we want to talk about how do we get, if you would, the results of the benefits of the cross. How do we get the results and the benefits of being saved? This morning we want to talk about that. You don't have to turn there, but if you were to look in John 10, you remember the passage when Jesus is talking about, I am the good shepherd, I am the door. You remember that. He's talking about all these sheep gathered around, and he's the door to the flock, and he's the shepherd. In verses 27 and 28, after a long discourse, Jesus says this, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And so did you see that, that eternal life has two components as far as our reception is concerned. Remember this morning we're talking about our receiving the gospel, not Jesus' work to save us through his death, resurrection, but our receiving the good of his death, burial, and resurrection. And so it takes two components, if you would, for us to receive. First, we must hear, and having heard, we must follow. 
Those two are prerequisites and essentials for having the gospel as our own as God gives it to us. So this morning, first, let's talk about hearing the gospel. The hearing that Jesus speaks about in John 10, verse 27, is called regeneration. It's a good word. You need to remember that word, regeneration. Regeneration is the work of the Holy Spirit upon us as he begins through the messenger as one of us or through an alpha or through a radio preacher or through a song or someone reading the word. However he does it, regeneration is that work that the Holy Spirit creates and causes in us as we hear the word of God. The word regeneration means renewal, recreation something brand new, the restoration of a thing to its original pristine state, the restoration of life after death. So do you see what that means? Regeneration means that we who were dead are going to be made alive. We who were old in sin are going to be made new in Christ. It's a wonderful word, and it needs to be part of our regular vocabulary, regeneration. Regeneration is the Spirit's activity. Now, notice, we are always going to place the emphasis upon the Holy Spirit and not upon ourselves. The Holy Spirit is the evangelist, and we are his instruments or his mouthpieces. Regeneration is the Spirit's activity in us, with us, through us, of saving us as we hear the gospel. Let's turn to Romans chapter 10, verses 13 and 17. Romans chapter 10, verses 13 and 17. And Paul is talking about, remember, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him or them who bring good news, who bring the gospel. We used to sing that, right, Bill? Didn't we used to sing that song, How Beautiful Upon the Mountains? Some of you who are older folks here, at least you've been here for a while at Lakeview Christian Center, Ask and encourage Matt. Maybe we need to bring back some of these songs that we've sung in the past, right? That's a commercial that uh, Matt would appreciate, I'm sure. So Romans 10, verses 13 to 17. Let's see what the apostle says. He says this. For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. We're talking about our response. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. The word Lord there has to do with Jesus Christ himself. Jesus Christ is Lord, you remember, in Philippians chapter 2. The Lord Jesus Christ. So the word Lord there, yes, generically to God, but specifically to Jesus. Everyone who calls upon the name of Jesus will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Now, the word preaching there doesn't mean out of pulpit, yelling and screaming, or whatever it is. Preaching means simply sharing verbally the word of God with the person to explain to them what God has done, especially, hopefully, as they have seen that good work effective in our lives. Hopefully they've seen us having been transformed, and they want to know about it. Or they sense in us the presence of God and they want to know about it. And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news or the gospel. But they have not all obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? 
So faith, so faith, verse 17. Verse 13, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Verse 17, how are we to be saved? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ or by the word of God, depending on your translation. Now, notice verse 17. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. The word of Christ. When we hear the gospel, when the Bible says the word of Christ, what specific word is it referring to? What, what, what specific content, message is the Bible referring to when it says, when we hear the word of God, faith comes? What specific content? The what? The gospel. It is the gospel. Paul is talking about the good news, the gospel here. So we're not talking just about a particular prophecy or a particular event in Israel's history as part of the word, although the gospel is contained in every book of the Bible. We're speaking specifically of the gospel content. Faith comes when they hear the word of the gospel. When they hear us share what the Bible says about the gospel and how that gospel has impacted my life and changed me, when they hear that, the Holy Spirit begins to regenerate their hearts and faith begins to be birthed in them. Because you see, prior to this, there is no faith to be saved in this person. Everybody has natural faith. When we got up this morning, we had faith that the food that we ate wouldn't kill us. We had faith that the cars that we drove wouldn't explode, etc., etc. But there is a clear distinction between natural faith and spiritual faith to be saved. No one is born with spiritual ability to have faith. Absolutely, unequivocally, no one has spiritual faith to be saved unless it be given to him, to her, by the Holy Spirit. This is why they must hear. This is why God must move. Faith comes. In other words, from the outside, it comes. If it's already in us, it would just say, faith in us is being you know, encouraged or grown, but it doesn't say that. <clears throat> So when we hear the gospel about God's holiness and righteousness, when we hear the gospel about man's unrighteousness and his consequences, eternal wrath, when we hear the gospel about God's way of saving man from his sin through the cross and the resurrection of his son, when we hear the gospel, the Spirit does something in us so that we will be saved. You see, God isn't trying to save anyone. God is saving his people. God never tries to save. He always saves those whom he loves. Now, can you say amen to that? There isn't one, there hasn't been one, there will never be one person left out of heaven whom God has not foreknown and loved before the creation of the world, birth into humanity, that will not be in heaven. God will get us all into his house. Now, that should be good news. So that means if I fail to evangelize, if I fail to be an effective witness, 
that doesn't mean that old Joe was going to hell because I didn't do a good job. Thank God that it's not dependent upon the way I live and the, what I say and how I conduct my life, but it is dependent upon the Holy Spirit to use us. Now, the way we live and the way we conduct our lives and what we say is extremely important, but the basis of salvation is the Spirit's communication of the gospel through his people to his people. So let's be concerned about our part in this. But let's not be so concerned about it that we think that if we don't do everything right, therefore people will never be saved. That's bunk. It's bunk. God saves every single one of his children. Not one chair will be empty in the congregation of heaven. Not one chair. When we hear the gospel, the Holy Spirit does something in us so that we, what? Will be saved. Go out and preach and teach and share with great confidence that God will do the work as I am faithful to live and share that work. Remember that in the fall, God, man lost both his desire and ability to walk with God. Remember that. All of man's spiritual acumen and all of his ability and all of his relationship with God came to an end when Adam ate in verse three of chapter th- uh, verse six of chapter three of Genesis. This is why God has to change our wanting and our ability. This is why God has to touch our hearts and make them new, so that we will call upon the name of the Lord to be saved. This is what the Bible teaches. The Bible never teaches that man will have faith to receive Christ and that God seeing that Lee Barnett would one day receive Christ, God seeing that ahead of time, that in Lee there is something natural that would cause him to receive Christ, God saves him. The Bible never says that. It always says you are absolutely unequivocally and forever unable and undesirous of receiving Christ as Savior unless God changes your heart. This is the work of a God who will save his people. And I'm so thankful for the sovereignty and the power and the love of God. Because if it weren't for those three, the sovereignty, the power, and the love of God, I, for one, would not be here this morning. Listen to Titus 3, 5. God saved us. Why? Not because of works done by us in our unrighteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of what word? Regeneration. Remember, we're talking about regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit. You see, this is what Jesus told Nicodemus in John chapter 3, verse 3. And then he repeats in verse 7, he said, you must be born again. you got to be born again, Nick. Something on the inside must happen to you. As you were created the first time, in order for you to see and go into heaven and have forgiveness and become part of God's family, you must be recreated from above. Born again, recreated from above. Nicodemus, God must change you on the inside. 
This is why, as I said, Jesus told Nicodemus this. It means born again, getting a spiritual heart transplant. Getting a spiritual heart transplant. Let's read Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 26 and 27. You remember several months ago we went through Ezekiel for an extended period of time, and probably all of us, including me, should be able to memorize and quote this from heart, which I cannot do, but I would expect you to be able to. <laughs> you see, what the teacher requires is not always what the teacher can do. That is a, uh, uh, by the way, that's a secret. So don't tell anybody that. It may not be a secret to you. Ezekiel chapter 26. I'm sorry, 36, verse 26. I realized chapter 26 didn't look quite what I expected it to. <clears throat> 36, 26, and 27. The Holy Spirit is speaking here. God is speaking here. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit is speaking here. And he's speaking to those who are unregenerate, who don't have anything going on in their hearts. And he's telling them, I'm going to regenerate you. And here's what he tells them. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. New meaning new for them. New experience for them. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh. And I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you. And I will cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Now, that's what God is doing. By the way, as an aside, if you put in your notes, read the first 10 verses. I think it's the first 10 verses of the next chapter, the dead bones, and you will see an explanation or an illustration, rather, of what being born again is when you look at chapter 37 with the dry bones. And notice when you read those verses in there how many times the Holy Spirit says to the prophet Ezekiel, speak, speak proclaim what my word and when the word of god is being proclaimed things begin to happen to those who audibly are hearing and they begin to audibly hear and then they begin to hear with their hearts because the holy spirit is doing that work so these verses are illustrated in the next chapter in those first 10 or so verses so put that together and you see what Jesus is talking about to Nicodemus when he says in John chapter 3, this is what should be happening. He says, are you the teacher of the uh, nation of Israel and you're ignorant of this, Nicodemus? In other words, Nick, haven't you read Ezekiel? Haven't you seen what I told the prophet Ezekiel? You have the word of what I'm going to do. You have the illustration of what I'm going to do. And this should not be quizzical to you. But you see, of course it is because Nicodemus is an unredeemed man until his heart is regenerated, just like the rest of us. The Word of God, the scaffold of the Spirit, is the sword of the Word. Remember in Hebrews chapter 12, 4, verses 12 and 13, it is a heart transplant. And what is the scaffold that the Holy Spirit is using? The word of the gospel that we share with others is the work of the Holy Spirit unseen by us but being experienced in the heart of the person who is listening to your voice share the gospel 
as that person listens to your voice sharing the gospel, he is realizing something is happening to me on the inside. Something is going on. How many of you can relate to this and you remember this in your own life? Something's happening to me. What's going on? It's the Holy Spirit cutting away the old to give you a new. And what is the activity of his cutting? Our sharing of the word. Isn't God good to bring us together with him to make us co-workers in this great adventure, adventure of bringing people into the kingdom of God? Isn't it exciting? Now, you may not have realized our part in this, but we are surgeons being used by the Holy Spirit in that invisible yet most efficient and effective work, the scalpel of the Holy Spirit, the Word of God, the gospel, cutting away the old, bringing in the new. See, this is what James 1.18, of his own will. Did you see that? It's not of the will of man. You remember that, John 1.13, it's not by the will of man. People are not being saved because they want to be saved. People are being saved because God wants them to be saved, and he changes our wanting to be in concert with his wanting. Ain't nobody naturally wanting to be saved except the Holy Spirit touched that person, and then the wanting begins. So he says, James says, of his own will, God brought us forth, regeneration, by the word of truth. What is it? The gospel. Remember Romans 1, 16, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17, what is the result of regeneration? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. What does he say? I will put a new spirit. I will give them a new heart, new spirit, new heart. In Ezekiel 26 and 27, you see 2 Corinthians 5, 17 is the exegesis or the explanation or the doctrinal statement of what that new in Ezekiel 36 is all about. Paul says that new is this. In Christ, we're new. The old, the old heart has been passed away, has passed away. The old spirit, Holy Spirit has taken out the stony thing, thrown it away, destroyed it. Behold, the new heart has come. All things are made new. That's what's happening here. It's called regeneration. In the hearing of the gospel, the Holy Spirit gives us a new heart, having the desire and the ability to express faith in Christ. Remember Romans 10, 17? For faith, what? Comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God or the word of Christ. Faith comes. That's called regeneration. The gospel is God's power, Romans 1.16, to regenerate our hearts, Ezekiel 36, 26, and 27, so that we will do what Romans 10, 13 says we must do. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. You see how we have to put scriptures together and understand the great complexity of the simple gospel. Now remember what we said in John chapter 10, verse 27. My sheep hear my voice and they follow me. It didn't say, my sheep hear my voice and oh, 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 I hope, I hope someone will follow me this morning. 
I'm just standing at the door knocking. Please, church, please open the door to me. Won't you open it? No. When the Son of God speaks, the doors come down, the windows fly open, the roof comes apart, the house is blown away, the old house, and a brand new house is constructed. Don't you ever think that Jesus is hoping and wringing his hands and sweating outside the door for you and me to open our hearts to him. That is not happening, church. What's happening here is when the voice of the Son of God speaks. Where's the exegesis of that? You go to John chapter 11. Jesus says, roll away the stone. And when he rolls away the stone, Jesus walks up to the blackness and the foulness and the hideousness and the nastiness and the filthiness and the horribleness of death itself and face to face with death that he can even see it and smell death from that rotting and putrefying body of Lazarus in there. Jesus, with a snort, he's angry. That death has put his cold, clammy clutches on his people. And Jesus says, Father, I thank you that you hear me. For I always know that you hear me. But for the sake of those who are around here, I say it that they may know that you hear me. Lazarus, come forth. And death is conquered. You see, Jesus isn't tapping on the outside of the stone. Lazarus, Lazarus, open the door, Lazarus. The mighty son of God says, roll away the stone. How do you roll away it? You roll away the stone by the preaching of the gospel. And the mighty voice of the son of God goes forth as we preach the gospel and says, John, Jim, Henry, Henrietta, Sandra, come forth. And guess what? Lazarus came forth. Why? Because the power of God yanked him out of the tomb. How many of us have been yanked out of the tomb of death? Yanked out of the tomb. Thank God, thank God for his sovereign power and his sovereign love. Where was I? Oh, yeah, here I am. Get a little preachy here. This is supposed to be a teachy time, not a preachy time. You see, John 10, 27, you're not only going to hear, but you're going to follow. Now, does that mean everybody who hears follows? No. Those who hear will either have one of two reactions. They will either reject or receive. They're going to either reject or receive. But we're taking the high ground that as we share the gospel, we are going to expect everyone with whom we share to receive. Knowing it's God's work and it's God's prerogative to call. You see, our hearts are made new. Why? In order that we will follow Jesus. This activity of following is called conversion. Regeneration, what the Holy Spirit does in my heart to get me to be converted. I must be first regenerated by the Holy Spirit, a new heart, so that I can be converted by the power of the gospel. Do you see this? Are you getting the flow here? I must be regenerated, a new heart. Mike, I have to receive a new heart. What does that mean? The ability and the desire. And when I receive the ability and the desire, then I will experience the wonderful work of conversion. Hear, follow. Conversion is our decision. Did you hear what I just said? Our decision. 
according to God's call. Our decision within the context of God's decision to call. Our decision, when we hear it, is to follow it. And that's called conversion. And conversion includes two necessary and connected actions. And here's how, where we have to be careful because sometimes we're a little weak in this area. Conversion has two legs on it. If one of the legs is missing, you ain't getting converted. May I repeat that? If one of the legs is missing, you're not going to run the race. As a t- one-legged man, you're not going to make it. What are the two legs of conversion? Repentance toward God. And the second leg is faith in the Lord Jesus. Repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus. I'm not going to read page 76 of our book. I would ask you just to read that particular paragraph, those two paragraphs there, but hopefully you're reading the book. I'm just going to skip that this morning because the clock is going a little faster than I anticipated. Look at these, listen to these words from Acts 26, 17 and 18. The Lord Jesus is, remember, confronting Paul on the road to Damascus. And it doesn't say, the Bible does not say the Lord, Paul got knocked off his horse. It just doesn't say that. It says Paul fell to the ground. Now, whether he was walking or sitting on the horse, we don't know. But Paul, some kind of way, fell to the ground. When you see the resurrected, exalted Christ, you and I are going to fall to the ground, just as John did in chapter 1, remember, of uh, Revelation. I fell to the ground as a dead man. And Jesus is explaining to Paul what's going to be happening and how Paul's going to be used. And he says, I am sending you, Paul, I'm sending you to the Gentiles. In order to open their eyes, you see, regeneration, the eyes of their heart. If you were to turn, not now, but later on to Ephesians. Bill, where is it? The eyes of their heart. Ephesians 1, 17, 18, right around in there. That they may have the eyes of their hearts open. Regeneration. I'm sending you to them so that their eyes, they may get a new heart, may be open. Why? Regeneration. Why? So that they may turn from darkness to light. See, that's conversion. Look at the words. They may turn from to and from the power of Satan to God called conversion. Why? So that they may receive. Remember in John 1, 12, as many as received him, that they may receive forgiveness of their sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So conversion is a turning from and a turning to. Uh, would you give me about five minutes over the time this morning? Anybody give me five minutes? Anybody? All right, three hours and 45 minutes. Thank you, brethren. Turning from the first aspect of the change heart is repentance, a turning away from. You ever see a little child or maybe some of us? How many of you have, of you have ever seen a big roach in your house and you ran from it? Come on, come on, come on. I didn't know my wife and I could move that fast (laughs) until we found a roach in our bed one night. Now, you may think Jean is slight and she can't move. Let me tell you, no 100-yard runner could have outdashed my wife that night. We saw that roach. The roach jumped, but we outjumped that roach. (laughs) We jumped away, Terry, from that roach. See a snake, 
for the most part, most of us are going to run. We're going to recoil like the snake does. No wonder the snake has to go back. Can you imagine what the snake feels when it sees us? <laughs> you thought the snake was trying to attack. It's just trying to get away from you. <laughs> That's the first activity of God regenerating our heart. The first activity in, in uh, conversion is running away from sin. Having heard the terrible news that we're subject to the wrath of God because of our sin, when someone hears that, it's like saying there's a viper in your bed. There's a big spider on the side of your face. There's a roach crawling up your pillow. That news are we more afraid of roaches in the wrath of God? That news causes us to fear and to detest our sin. Why? God has put that in us. Thank God for godly fear. To fear and detest our sin so that we will run from it. We will repudiate our sin, reject our sin. We will see our sin as God sees it. Evil, rebellion, rejection. Uh, of God, lawlessness directed against his rule and majesty. Our repentance is the result of God giving us a new view of sin so that our hearts, affections, desires, our motives, and our actions will no longer be set on sin but are turned against sin to be set on God. This is called repentance. It's the first sermon Jesus preached. Remember in the Gospel of Mark? What's the first sermon Mark has Jesus preaching? He doesn't go out there and say, God loves everybody. And I'm here to share the love of God for everybody God loves everybody. He says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is right here. You're looking at the king of the kingdom of heaven. And he says, when you see me, repent that you're in the wrong kingdom. Run away from it. From, run away from it. Why? And as we're running from, we turn away from it, we're running to him. Running toward faith. Conversion, repentance first, and then faith. Now, I know in my heart and your heart, it doesn't seem as if these are two distinct works, but they are. But usually and normally, they converge into a work called conversion. And we may not be able to distinguish precisely, exactly the difference between the two. All we knew is when we heard the gospel, we wanted to be saved. I don't want that life anymore. I reject that life. My life before has been wanted. I, I can't. There's some Jesus, Jesus. Do you remember in your own life how you turn your back on what was to receive him who is? Conversion. Remember the frightened child not only turns from the danger but runs toward the safety of his father. I mean, Gene almost knocked me down that night getting away. She's tough. When it comes to roaches, my wife is tough. You see, God is calling us home through the gospel. Let's be turning to Luke 15. God is calling us home through the gospel. And faith's response is, I'm coming home. Repentance is, I don't want the pig poop anymore. I'm leaving the pig house and I'm going to the big house. That's faith. That's repentance. I'm leaving the pig house and I'm heading home to the big house. 
You see, faith says, I'm coming home. Remember Romans 10, 13. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord Jesus will be saved. Let's look at Luke chapter 15. You're probably there before I am. You remember the story of the lost son. I don't like the word prodigal son. I like the word lost son, but that's just me. Remember, the son has gone ahead and has squandered all that the daddy gave him, and he's living in the pig house. He's living with the pigs in the pig house. That's why I said the pig house. What happens? Look at verse 17 especially. But when he came to himself, or the Bible says in another version, he came to his, what, senses. What happens when I come to my senses is the work of the Holy Spirit regenerating my heart. I get a new heart, and all of a sudden I say, what is happening to me? Why am I living where I'm living? i got to go home. I'm leaving this mess to go to my father's house. That's conversion. He came to his senses. Holy Spirit has done something here. Verse 17, but when he came to himself or to his senses, we're going to read through verse 21. How many of my father's hired servants are more, have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, see, I will get out of this pig house. Repentance. And said, I'm, I've sinned against heaven and before you. You see, repentance of sin, rejection, repudiation, turning my back. On running away from sin. It's one of the weak areas of the way we share the gospel. We're weak in this area, church. People have got to see that their problem is the hideous hellishness of their sin so that when God saves them, they want passionately to leave their sin. Why is that so important? Because when we live in Christ, we want to remember the hideousness of that sin that bound us to hell so that as we are tempted to sin on a daily basis, we have that same passionate rejection of sin to say no today that we had when we were saved. It's the same repentance. We live a life now of repentance and faith concerning the issue of my sin on a daily basis. He says, I'm going to get up. I will arise and go to my father and say, I've sinned, and father, I've sinned against you. Verse 19, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And when he arose, he came to his father. Oh, boy. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. You see, father is calling us home. And the father ran and embraced and he kissed him. And the son said to the father, Father, I've sinned against heaven before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. You see, the son is turning from the pig house and is going back to the big house. See, why can we turn and run to Jesus? Why? Why can we do it? Because we have been given the faith Something has happened in my heart by regeneration. The faith to see and to desire, to believe that we have a loving father at the top of the hill who is waiting for us. Not waiting to see if we're going to return, but waiting for us as we hear his call, as we are returning. And when he sees us, let's look what happens to the father. Well, it's part of verse 21. Let me read it again. It's a wonderful verse here. And the son said, I'm sorry. 
Here, the verse 20, and the father felt compassion and ran, embraced, and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven before you. I'm no longer worthy to call you son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe, the robe of righteousness. Justification, Romans 5, 1. And put it on him and put a ring on his hand, part of the family again. And shoes on his feet, the ability to walk out the gospel, you see, the feet. And bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. That's the work of regeneration. That causes the work of conversion. The great work of God. See, we receive God's forgiveness and are clothed with Jesus' own righteousness. We get a new robe. The pig poop is forgiven is covered over. And we are declared as children of God. First John 1, 7, the second part of that verse, for the blood of Jesus, God's Son, cleanses us from... One more time, I like it. Shall I yell it out or shall we all yell it out? All. I love that word all, word all, when it pertains to what God has done in my life. For the blood of Jesus, God's Son, has cleansed us from all sin. Romans 3.22, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. See, now we are declared to have a right standing before God. So we go all the way back to the beginning. We have come full circle, haven't we? You see, remember in Genesis, God created us to be in his own image. Genesis 1.26, let us make man in our image and according to our likeness. The fall comes in and mars that image. God begins to work immediately calling Adam and Eve in verse 9. Adam, where are you? Putting out the curse, the woman's seed will stomp the head of the Satan. In verse 21, he closed the couple, remember, with the skin of an animal, saying that it will be through the shedding of blood. But without the shedding of blood, remember in Hebrews, there is no remission of sin. And Jesus comes to fulfill all that. And the voice of the Holy Spirit goes out into the world saying, through the gospel, I'm bringing you home. I'm bringing my people home again. So now, the fall, the Redeemer, and as a result, we are now back where Genesis 1.26 has declared that God desired us. In Christ, we are the living image of God in Christ. We are the living fulfillment of Genesis 1.26, the great purpose that God had in creating us. Therefore, Romans 8.29, for those whom he foreknew, those whom he knew beforehand to be saved, he also predestined to be conformed to the image, Genesis 1.26, image of his Son image we are now the living image bearers of God's son why because the gospel has been proclaimed our hearts have been regenerated a new heart as a result of that we are converted we have heard the words of regeneration and we follow we repent reject sin by faith we receive Christ all that he's done And we're part of the family of God. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. And we're the ones who walk together with God to perform that great work. Next week, we're going to talk about one more lesson in this class concerning how God has saved us 
and how that works among all of his children in the church. So come back next week and hear the last part of the story. Thank you a lot.